0: Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. The power of 10. The power of 10. Okay? Um, I've been I've been thinking about in this concept underneath the banner of the foundations of the faith. Uh, I've been thinking about this, this foundational understanding of what... The Ten Commandments provide for us as a church, okay? Some people have a hard time with this concept because it's, it's in the Old Testament. And how, how does the church, why is the church looking back so far to find, uh, is it even valuable for us today? And I'm going, to, I'm going to say up front that I believe that it is. Now, let me just make a caveat on this. When you look at the law of Moses, you have to understand that it's broken up into different things. There's the moral law, okay, moral law, which the Ten Commandments falls underneath the umbrella of. Then there's also national laws and procedural laws, okay? So you have the moral laws, you have procedural laws, and you have the national laws. National identity laws are things that um, are really only applicable to Practicing Jews, okay? Um, procedural laws are things like if your donkey falls into a pit on the Sabbath, what do I do? All right? I mean, there's just, there's just a procedure for believe it. Believe it or not, there is a procedure for how to get your donkey out of a pit on the Sabbath. It's very detailed. The moral laws are what we're going to be talking about in this series. And I want to, I want to kind of give you the big idea of this series. And it's this, just like zeros and ones in a binary code are the building blocks of all digital architecture, so the Ten Commandments are the building blocks in the architecture of civilization. On them, everything else needed for a thriving, growing, vibrant civilization is built. It is a very, very source code of society. Okay, very source code of society. I couldn't get that concept of the binary ones and zeros, and I'm thinking, there's power in t- the power of 10. So today, the title of today's message is simple, one word, here. Not here, but here. I need you to hear this. Okay? And the big idea for this message is this week one civilization is dependent on individuals being civilized brain surgery right but wow to be civilized is to deny one's own base instincts and adhere to a code that creates an environment for the society to advance and thrive this is gonna this is gonna rub I'm gonna tell you this is gonna chafe Against our contemporary idea of what freedom is, okay, we have aban- in many ways we've abandoned the cons the constructs around the idea of civilization, being civilized. Okay, so the word civilization is a noun and it means an advanced state of human society in which a high level of culture, science, industry, and government has been reached. That was the number one definition. I actually like the more basic number four definition, which goes like this. The act or process of civilizing. As by bringing out of a savage, uneducated, or unrefined state. And that definition... Is going to mean a lot when we start talking about today's message. Let me read that one more time: an act or process of civilizing, as by bringing out of a savage, uneducated, or unrefined state. I think right now, because we're going to be jumping into like the meat of it. Let's just, we'll just let's just stop and pray. Okay? Can we do that real quick? Sure. Lord, thank you for this time. We could be together. We can be uh, the church. <laughs> Just individual matches on fire for you that brings great light to our community. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us understand what it looks like to live in a civilized world and how self-denial, though it be so hard, is key to this concept. And Lord, we cannot do this, the things we're going to talk about today, we cannot do in our own power. But through you, your Holy Spirit, all things are possible. We can actually reflect the light of glory in the world that we live in, as is in heaven, so on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Last days, in the last days of the Constitutional Convention, a lady asked Benjamin Franklin, Well, doctor, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? He replied, A republic if you can keep it. One of the foremost constitutional theorists of the founding generation, John Adams, observed this. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to to the government of any other. Interesting. He wasn't the only founding father who held those views. In order to keep our civilization Growing and thriving, we must be a moral and religious people. Thus the absolute need for the Ten Commandments. So I have a great idea. Let's take the Ten Commandments out of our educational system. That that makes perfect sense. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you some heads up on this. You don't have to be a Christian for this stuff to work. When you apply the principles of God's word, whether you be you know, agnostic, whatever, they will work. Now, if you are a Christian, you're going to reap the benefits of the power that comes through. But the system itself is based on uh, foundations that work. I want to read to you today the most important text in Scripture when it comes to the Jewish nation. Most important. And it's called the Shema. And what Shema means is literally the title of this message, here. And it goes like this. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commend to you today shall be on your heart. The things that I'm telling you today, these should be on your heart. And, as, and, oppose, and, and, and the concept of opposing this idea of taking things out of school, this concept, it says this, you should teach them diligently to your children. You should talk about them when you sit in your houses. And when you walk by the way, when you're taking a walk with your kids, it might be a good idea to talk a little bit about this. And when you lie down and when you rise, you will bind them. As a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, why is it so important that these things be written on the doorposts of the house? I'm gonna tell you why. Because they govern the most basic structure of human civilization the family. That's what it's talking about. Why do we put this on the door? Why do we talk about it with our children? Why do we talk about it when we walk around? Why do we put it on the door fronts of our house and on our gates? I'll tell you why. Because they they are the underpinning of civilization, and the family is the underpinning of all society. When the family dies, society dies. When the family doesn't understand these concepts, the family dies, and then there goes the culture. See how it's so foundational? And that's why, that's why it's the most important verse in all of uh, Judaism, the Shema. Jesus affirms the preeminence of the Shema in his answer to a test. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, it says this. An expert. Ooh, ooh, an expert. We all have grown to really appreciate and value the experts, right? The expert in the law asks a question to test him, this being Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Now, you have to understand, there's like over 600 laws that the Jewish people were, at this time especially, were trying to keep to the letter. So he's asking, out of all of those, what is the most important? Jesus answered this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Where do we hear that before? It's in the Shema. This is the greatest and the most important command. And then he goes, takes it a step further. The second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend, or another translation, hang on these two commands. So, for the sake of this message, what we're understanding is this on on the pegs of these two commands. Everything you need for civilization, hang. How many people have ever taken a new job, and they've been given, like, the the manual or the rule book? You know what rule books are? Rule books are written because we can't do those two things. If if we could just do those two things, rule books, out the window. The entire law would be moot if we could do those two things right there. That's what he's saying. Everything else is, is, is a branch off of that vine. All right? Now I think it might be helpful for you to understand a little bit, um, just a quick synopsis of Israel at this point, because we're gonna get into um, some of the reasons why God thought this was so important to present to them. So let's just let's just do a quick flyover of Jewish history. Okay. First off, Abraham is called out of the society, of the city-state of Ur and the early Babylonian civilization of the Chaldeans in the modern-day region of southern Iraq, right by the area of the Persian Gulf. So those of you who are live for the Kuwait, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's right, right where we're talking. That's what, like, right where Ur of the Chaldeans were, okay? Abraham was called out of that society. Did you realize that Abraham was not Jewish? That's a really funny thought, right? No, he, the Jew, Jewish was in him. right? He, wasn't, he was from another culture. Israel came out of him, so either he was not, by definition, Jewish. He was something else. But God called him out of that thing and said, I want you to wander for a while in a place that you don't own. So God promised him a land the land of Canaan as an inheritance for his descendants, his descendants being the Jewish uh, people. So he sojourned in Canaan his entire life, never received the promise. As did his son Isaac and his son Jacob, whose name later was changed to Mom Israel, Israel which is where we get the Israelite nation. Jacob had 12 sons by two wives. The eldest of his favored wife, Rachel, yes, he had a favored wife, was Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. Talk about family dysfunction. I mean, think about what's going on in in your house with your kids and think, well, at least they didn't sell them. They're up, they're up a little bit on, on uh, Joseph's family. All right? The boys are like, I <laughs> see, like, mm, some days I feel like selling them. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Just don't do it. Joseph went from the prison to the palace and ended up saving Egypt and, by extension, his family from a regional famine by bringing all 66 of them to live with him in Egypt. They were gifted the prime land of Goshen by the Pharaoh, and they thrived in their displacement. Years passed, and a new Egyptian dynasty arose with a new Pharaoh who did not know, this word know uh, could be better translated recognize, like recognize his position or, or give him the honor he was, du- was due to Joseph's name. So didn't know him, didn't care, basically. <laughs> he came up, he said, I don't care about these these people. He didn't know Joseph. He probably knew him historically, but he didn't care, all right, as, uh, and his claim. Uh, he saw the Semitic population who were living off the fat of the land as a threat rather than a blessing. He forced them into a form of servitude that would grow into an all-out slavery and genocide. This is where Moses comes into the picture. Okay, we're doing a. A really high flyby, okay? Moses comes onto the scene and through a series of events is sent by God to rescue Israel and bring them to the land that God had promised to Abraham way back at the beginning. So, after 400 years of slavery, they are now a free people. What does that even look like? Think about it for a second. 400 years. Let's be generous and give them 60 years of life, which is absolutely impossible when you understand that uh, slavery and uh, indentured servitude shortens your life by about half. Um, they were saying, I was reading some some statistics of the uh, American slave numbers, and most of those slaves who were under, uh, under uh, southern slavery didn't live past 40. And most of them were even, that's, that's, like, that's like the highest. When you're under indentured slavery, y- your body is not holding up. So let me, just, let me just put it this way. Your dad's 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 dad was the last one to know freedom in your family. So now you're free. What, do I, what does this even look like? Right? Free from from what? Well, yeah, obviously free from indentured slavery, which is great. But free, what, what does that even what does that look like? For, what else? What else am I free from? Free to what? What am I fr- What am I free to do now? I mean, every minute of every day is planned out for these people. They get up. They work. They get their food allotments. They go to bed. They obviously were having children because at one point they were having so many children that the pharaoh decided to commit genocide to curb the population. So they must not have had like Scrabble to play. (laughs) Being polite. But there's a lot of babies being had. So. Free to what? What do I do with this freedom? How do I know what freedom looks like? Am I free to do whatever I want? These are interesting questions that we don't often have to, like, consider. Free to do whatever I want? Do I have any responsibility to my neighbor's freedom? Good question. Can I do whatever I want, or do I have to be worried about you? Am I, I mean, that's a, it's a fundamental question, right? One day, my schedule, my time, my housing, my future, my children's future, all my decisions are made for me. The next, I'm responsible to make these, uh, make something all, uh, make something of myself. I'm responsible now to figure this out. How does a person who's only ever known slavery begin to understand what it looks like to live free? They have seen what civilization looks like, but they've only ever been the stepping stone of someone else's system. They have never had to implement their own system. They just did what they were told. Now they find themselves at the base of a mountain that is covered with smoke, hearing thunder and peeling trumpets, which we talked about last week, and the voice of the great I Am gives them the greatest outline of civilization the world has ever seen. No. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's really early in your Bible, so go to the center take a left. And go almost to the front. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. The, 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 this outline is given in Exodus, it's also given in Deuteronomy. We're going to look at the Deuteronomy version of it, it's the same, same thing. But I like, it ties well to the Shema, because the Shema is given directly after this is, uh, is is spoken. All right, here we go. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, "Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am proclaiming as you as you hear 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 them today. Learn and follow them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb." He did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to your face. He said, he spoke to you face to face. Remember that from last week, those of you who were here? He, he spoke to the people, like, right to them. And they said, they covered their heads, and they were like, "No, no, 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 no. Moses, we'll listen to you. You take on the brunt of God's presence, because we can't handle it. He said, he spoke to your face, face to face from the fire on the mountain. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you to report the word of the Lord to you because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, ready? Number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Here we go. First first commandment is this, do not have any other gods before me. One. Two, do not make any idols for yourself in the shapes of anything in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the Father's iniquity to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to thousands of generations. Of those who love me and keep my commands. Number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Four, be careful to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, and any of your livestock or the resident alien who lives within your city gates, so that the male and female slave may rest as you do. Number five, remember that you were slaving slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of the strong hand and outreach arm. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you oh, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, and keep you this Sabbath day. Number five, honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long, so that you may have you may prosper in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Six, do not murder. Pretty straightforward. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Eight. Do not steal. Nine. Do not give dishonest testimony against your neighbor. And ten. Do not covet your neighbor's wife or desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Some of you are like, I never heard that before. Probably many of you are saying, yes, I've, I know those. Good. Good. That's a good thing. They are the very foundation of civilization. So let me break it down for you a little bit before we jump into these different sections over the next few weeks. The Ten Commandments are broken down into two sections as Jesus calls them the Great Commandments. Number one is our vertical relationships. Our vertical relationship uh, if, it's, if it's helpful to you to think of it as a cross, because we associate so much of our iconography with crosses, think of the first section as the vertical um, base for the horizontal. Okay? This is the vertical relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The first four commands deal with how humans relate to God. That is that vertical relationship, how humans relate to God. What are they? No other gods, no idols. Do not misuse God's name and keep the Sabbath. Boom. Our relationship with God. Now, the horizontal relationships, as Jesus said, are like the first one, and they're secondary, but they're like, and I, I believe the iconography of the cross helps us because without that first one, you're not going to know how to deal with the horizontal relationships. So here's our horizontal relationships. Love your neighbor as yourself. The six commandments that deal with how humans relate to other humans. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. On these two pegs or these two planes of reality hang all the law and the prophets. Let's break it down real simple. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. This is not a standard of righteousness that determines rightness before God. This is a standard of good civilization. Let me me explain that statement. So much of our Christian, even our Christian walk, is us trying to be righteous before God by doing things. This list is not a standard of rightness between you and God because I'm going to tell you something it's impossible to keep them in perfection. This is a standard of good civilization. This is a, a standard to look to. This is a relationship, a, a, a grouping of relationships to aspire to. You will never keep them perfectly. Let me explain. John Bunyan is quoted as saying this. Now it's going to be a little old English, so get right ready. John Bunyan is the one who wrote... Pilgrim's Progress, okay, just a little old English. The danger doth not lie. You got to love that. The danger doth not lie in the breaking of one or two of these ten only, but in doth lie even the transgression of any one of them. If a man do fulfill nine of the commandments and yet breaketh but one, that being broken will surely destroy him and shut him out of the joy of heaven. Just one. And if he actually transgressed against them, as if he had transgressed against them all. Jesus, in his teaching, further unpacks the heart of the ten by saying that if we even encroach on breaking these, we are are breaking them. Matthew 5, 27 gives an example. You have heard it said, remember here, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who, looks, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, this is not a standard of rightness before God. This is a standard for good civilization because he knows we're not going to be able to keep it perfectly. So all I'm saying to you, all I want to just make sure you understand as we go through these, these Ten Commandments is this is not a, a checklist that if I could just do these, then I'm going to get to heaven. Mm, yeah. No, that's not what we're. That's we're, we're looking at it as a concept for right living. The only way you become righteous before God is by the blood of Jesus Christ applied to to your heart and your soul. Period. Let's just get that out of the way right now. We are. I am. This is not a legalistic church that says you know check this check these off and you're going to be good with God. I am saying this that this is the foundation of good relationships between uh, man and God and good relationships between uh, the horizontal relationships of human beings to to other human beings, which develops into a civilization that thrives. Okay? I like this quote by John Yates about the Ten Commandments. He says this, The Ten Commandments are a great gift, a love gift from God. They guide us. They warn us. They protect us. When we keep them, we show others what God is like. When we fail to live them, we bring great harm to ourselves and dishonor to our maker. That's why the prophets loved God's law and why we should too. Keeping the Ten Commandments protects us. It protects society. These principles are at the heart of how God created us to live. So let me ask you this question. If the Ten Commandments are there to protect us, protect us from what? They're there to protect us from us. (laughs) Plain and simple. They're there to protect us from us. Protect society from those who make up society. Us. It's a high standard to live by. Why? Because they highlight the narcissistic, self-absorbed tendencies of our nature, as well as emphasize the societal need for self denial. Self-denial is the key to being civilized. I want you to I want you to grasp it. This is something I've been grasping for the last, um, I'm not there yet, by the way. I'm working on it. Um, I came to this epiphany one day after a counseling session that being a civilized person is constant self-denial. I mean, I don't get to do what I, you know, somebody treats me some a certain way and i could succumb to my natural tendencies to give it back in kind right that's that's pretty natural to be civilized is to eat it to self deny my baser instincts and treat them in a different way based on a standard that is outside of me you get that and i'm saying It's hard. Self-denial is this concept of, now, when I say you have to eat it, I'm saying in the moment. Probably a good idea to work that out at some point. (laughs) Go to a counselor. Get that. You don't want to keep cramming that stuff down. But what I am saying is this. when, when, When we civilize ourselves, we treat people in different ways than if we just let our baser instincts thrive. And it's constant. To be a civilized human being is to constantly prefer to treat others better than ourselves. To self-deny. And that's why I'm saying it's impossible to always do that. You're going to break that. Even with our relationship with God, we're going to... I mean, I'm not giving you, a, we're not giving each other a license to, to commit sin or to transgress against it, but I'm saying in the natural process of our lives, we are going to transgress against God. He knows that. That's why Jesus came. But it's 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 denying ourselves with our our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationship. Self-denial is the key to bring being civilized. The Ten Commandments are the foundation of true and enduring civilization. That's why I think it's such a travesty that they've been removed from so much of our society. We call it secular society. I'm just going to tell you: we, if we go back to those first statements by our t- two of our founding fathers, they would they, they would so that is okay. Great, you want a secular society? This form of government is not going to work for you. You're going to need probably going to need some kind of dictatorship. Somebody who can, like, cram down a system. But if you can sit in God's system and love God and love people and prefer them and self-deny, then this form of government is going to work and it's going to cause you to thrive. And I'm telling you, we have gotten it right in our history in America, and we've gotten it really wrong. Because, why is that? Why is that? because what is society made out of? People who get it right sometimes and people who get it really wrong because societies are people. But all I'm saying today is this. If you can keep that image of the cross in front of you, Christ came. Christ came and died on that cross so that we could be right before God to do the first four for us that we could never do on our own to make us right before God and to help us to not transgress against one another and to forgive us when we do. That image of the cross is so important and so potent. And I think if we take that into our lives, just the iconography of the cross being vertical relationship and horizontal relationship, I guarantee you, if you don't hang your horizontal relationships on the the, the vertical relationships, you're going to get them wrong. You're going to get them wrong. That's why the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Boom. Vertical. And then when you put that cross piece of the horizontal, you're going to have a context for how you ought to treat people. So I'm just saying, as we lean into these, I I, want to make sure you understand that this is not a prescription for rightness before God. This is a prescription for how we function and thrive in civilization. This is... Our world, our country needs this series. I know that sounds like I'm putting myself up here, but I've been convicted by this concept. We need to get back to basics. We need some foundational truths in, our, in, our, in ourselves, in our world. And this is as, about, about as basic as you can get. Aside from last week, we talk about who God was, his justice, our repentance, and his grace. This comes next, as far as I'm concerned. This is a foundational concept that civilization as a whole needs. So what I want you to hear this today. And as as we unpack these commandments in the next few weeks, I want you to internalize the concepts and then ask somebody else. Not ask them, but hopefully they'll hear it through your life. Hear, O Israel. Here, oh New Life Church, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two pegs hang all the law and the prophets. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, convict us to our core. But Lord, help us to understand we live in a new age where we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to, to, to help us. Lord, your son came to this earth and lived a life that exemplified, that was perfect under the law. And then you, and then he left and sent his spirit to live in us so that we could exemplify everything that you have called us to. We're not gonna get this perfect. We're not Jesus, but we are able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, good civilization is dependent on good systems at the most basic foundational places such as the family. Lord, I pray that we would talk about this. We would teach it diligently to our children, not from word only, but by deed. Lord, that we teach it when they go to bed, when they rise, When we're walking around town, we're doing chores. God, I pray that it would be like a frontlet in our eyes. Ever before us. So that we can shift the trajectory of our culture, our civilization. To be something that is more akin to what is in heaven. As in heaven, so on earth. Lord, give us the ability to see what you want us to see in the next few weeks. Go with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.